0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and God, we bow before you, knowing that you are a God that is worthy of all of our worship. And we pray that our worship so far has been pleasing to you, and we pray, Father, that we would continue to worship you in truth and spirit. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ, in Christ alone, knowing that he came to save us from our sins, calls us to understand this wonderful truth as we study your word this day, that you are the one that has delivered us from darkness and brought us into the light. We pray, Father, for those that are still in the darkness, that today that they might be delivered from their darkness and brought into the light. How we pray that your spirit would move in our midst and open eyes and unstop ears so that they might see and that they might hear your truth and that they might come to Christ. We thank you, Father, for the gospel. And we pray that wherever it is proclaimed this day that people would be saved. We pray, Father, that your church would continue to grow that you would use your church here in this neighborhood to proclaim the gospel. We thank you, Father, that you did not leave us in our sins, but you drew us to yourself and gave us eternal life. We pray, Father, that as we study this passage, that you would give us understanding, for we know that all understanding comes from you. Pray that your Spirit would come, for we know that all is vain unless your Spirit comes. We pray, Father, for those that are unable to be with us this day. You know their reasons and their needs. And we pray that you would bring them back to us quickly. Pray that all that would be said this day would be pleasing in your sight. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue to study the Sermon on the Mount. Even though we're looking at verse 22 and 23. I want us to back up and begin with verse 19 so that we might have the joint passage. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness." These two verses before us are not easy to understand unless you leave it in the context that we have here. And we have to remember that Jesus is speaking primarily to his followers and he is causing them to consider earthly treasures and how earthly treasures tend to master and control the entire person. Now, we must not make the mistake thinking that these words that Jesus are speaking are simply for His followers in that particular time. No, we know that what Jesus said 2,000 years ago continues to apply to each of us, and we must be mindful of that and make sure that we look at the Word of God and take God's Word and apply it to our life. Now, We see here in this verse that Jesus is dealing with probably one of the most urgent messages that we need in Christianity today. It's so urgent that Jesus pressed the rest of the chapter upon his hearers about this aspect of worldliness. Worldliness is universal. It's a universal issue that I could say that every one of us is guilty of in one way or another. Now the troubling part is that we often do not realize how worldliness gradually invades our life. We ignore the words of Paul. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The world, just like the flesh and the devil, is very subtle. It's not always obvious. And we wrongly label worldliness often as those things. Those things that those wicked, evil people are doing. And we're not doing them, so therefore we're not worldly. That's often the way we view worldliness, as those things. And therefore, as being not guilty of, quote, those things, we're not worldly. But what we must realize is that worldliness is not confined simply to those things that are out there, those evil things. What we must realize is that worldliness is an attitude an attitude toward life, how we view life, how we view life in this world. It is how we look at things. And we have to realize that worldliness can easily enter into the church, and it has in many ways. Just about everyone is interested in treasures here on this earth. And most seek to lay up treasures here on this earth, never thinking about heaven, never thinking about the kingdom of God, never thinking about how they are to use what God has blessed them with for the glory and honor of God. Now, as we think about that, And we thought about it last week and we continue to think about it this week and we'll continue to think about it next week as well as we move on to verse 24 where it says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. So we continue to look at this because it's so important to us. Jesus stresses the importance of it here in these verses and we must realize how we are to deal with life and the things that God gives us because we have to understand that we all have treasures. The question is, how will we use those treasures that God has given us on this earth? Now, most, of course, seek to lay up treasures for themselves. As I mentioned, never thinking about the future, never thinking about God's kingdom. And therein lies the sin, see? It's not the things, it's how we use those things, see. God has blessed people abundantly. Christian men, as we looked at last week in the Old Testament, we saw that. And they used the things that God blessed them with for the glory of God. But at the same time, we know that there are those who use the things that God blesses them with for their own selfish needs. So we must ask ourselves this question. What is my real interest in life? What is my motive? What is my aim? Do I see myself as a pilgrim, as a sojourner in this world, just simply passing through this world, headed to glory? If we don't see ourselves in that fashion, then we don't understand the gospel. We don't understand why God saves His people from their sins. He saves us so that we might bring glory to Him and so that we might look forward to being with Him one day in glory. It's clear that Jesus is teaching that worldly treasures are not to be put as our hope, as our only hope. Instead, we are to invest them. And we see that Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 1.4 incorruptible, undefiled, and where it will never fade away. Now, where is that? Well, of course, that's in heaven. That's not here on earth. We are not to be gripped by the things of this world. But by God's grace, God's grace is to grip us so that we have a desire to be like Christ, a desire to be holy in all our ways, to be used of God, to bring honor to Him. And we long to be with Christ, but while we're here on earth, we should long to worship and serve Him, knowing that Christ is our great prize, our great treasure, our great pearl. And we will use all that we have here on earth for His glory. Now that's a review of what we looked at last week. And it helps us to understand these two verses that are before us. That in a lost condition, man is gripped by this attitude of things, of possessions, of this is mine. And that's why we see Jesus says in Luke, I mean in John 3, 19, men love darkness rather than light. See, we all have had that attitude toward things. We all, at one time, were unconverted. Now, we may have pretended not to have that attitude. We may have pretended to think that we were above that. But we really weren't. I mean, as children, we displayed that attitude. As we matured, we may have been able to suppress it and not allow it to be seen by others as children do. I mean, you remember, you may have had your favorite toy, and there were times when you had friends come over, and did you want them to play with your favorite toy? I mean, if you don't think that happens, go back and sit in the nursery and watch the children. I mean, you have your favorite toy, and even if mom and Daddy tell you, now you share your favorite toy, you watch the expression on that child's face. They may do it because they know if they don't do it, what mom and Daddy would do to them, but they don't do it from a loving heart, from kindness, wanting that child to play with their favorite toy. No, what you will quickly see is as we call those children, those little angels will quickly become little devils when their toy is taken away from them. But we're like that as adults, adults often. I mean, we have our things that we don't want anybody to touch. But when we, are stre- when we are saved, we are strengthened by the grace of God to be able to defeat that attitude and replace that attitude with a godly attitude. Children, remember we talked about Zacchaeus last week. See, Zacchaeus had that attitude at first. He had an attitude of possessions. He stole as a tax collector. But then when he was converted, what happened? His attitude was completely changed. Instead of stealing from people, he turned around and wanted to give to people and replace what he had stolen from people. So we see the grace of God invaded his life and made him a new person. And likewise, the grace of God does that to our life. And Jesus is talking about those two views. A worldly view and a godly view. A godly eye and an evil eye. There's only two, and you see that throughout Scripture. You see the sheep and the goats, the lost and the saved the blind and the seeing, and on and on you go. There's only two positions as far as being saved and being unconverted. First, he points out that these two eyes, they're in verse 22, and the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. So he addresses first the good eye. He's teaching that the eye directs the body. And we know that. I mean, without eyes, it's impossible for us to see, to be able to walk and do the things that we need to do. A person that is blind from birth cannot comprehend certain things they can't comprehend colors i mean you may try your best to describe to them what a color is but they cannot understand you because all they have seen is darkness you may one color i guess you could say well black what you're seeing you know but other than that it's it would almost be impossible to get them to understand colors so jesus uses this example why some see the truth and others are unable to see the truth. He points out that the eye, and of course the eye also pertains to the heart, must be singly focused, must be directed in the path of righteousness. Now, when the eye is rightly focused, our life will be rightly focused. Our life will be godly. And we have a pure and undefiled religion, as James speaks of. And good works will naturally flow from such a life. If our heart is right, then our works will be right. We will shine forth before men. So our aim, our desire, our intents will be laying up treasures in heaven. So the eye sets its sight on what it desires. And it desires the things of God. I mean, we all know what it's talked about, to aim or desire or to set a sight. I mean, we just finished hunting for us guys, and some of us are pretty good at aiming and shooting. I was not very good at aiming and shooting. I missed two deer this year, so I I didn't have a very good eye on my two deer that I missed and didn't do very good at hunting. I'm going to have to take some lessons, I guess, from Brother Fonzo and Brother Keith. They... All the time killing deer and they make me a little jealous. But anyway, we, we look at the target. Whatever the target is, we aim toward that target. We want to hit that target. And it's the same way in the Christian life. We want to aim and we want to hit that target. And Jesus says, your whole body is full of light. Why? Because your eye is right. You see correctly. And Paul put it this way. For me to live is Christ. In other words, all of his actions were aimed at what? Pleasing His Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, "...I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus." That's what he was pressing toward. That's what he was aiming at. That's what he was striving for. And he uses that terminology in his epistles often of an athlete striving toward the finish line, the goal. And I mean, if you want to win, you've got to practice. You've got to exercise. You've got to train, right? Some Y'all know my son-in-law was training for the Boston Marathon. I mean... That's just, un- that blows my mind, these people that are able, and we have some women in our church also that are able to run these marathons. You know, I get tired out at a 5K. Um, I-, I don't know. I'm-, I'm hoping that I can be as active as uh, Brother Keith when I'm. 80 years old and still doing 5Ks and winning 5Ks, but I, I don't know if I'll be able to. But I, I can't fathom a marathon. But how do you accomplish a marathon? Add, add, add. Right? You earn one mile, two miles, and you keep adding, and you keep adding, and you keep adding till you get up to that. Right? The same way in the Christian life, you continue to do that which is pleasing to God and praying for His strength to enable you to strive toward that prize, that heavenly calling, because God has given you the grace and the strength to be able to accomplish that. Christ's purpose was to correct the erroneous teaching of the Jews concerning the character and the kingdom of God. They had completely missed it and to keep the heart of his hearers from this spirit of covetousness. I mean, we teach that this discernment in our choice of treasures depends upon this singleness of eye. I mean, if you're spiritual, you should see things that are spiritual. Understanding them. Understanding what is best for your life here on earth, what God would have you to do with your life here on earth. I mean, as it states there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If our treasures are in heaven, that's where our heart, that's where our aim is. If it's here on earth, that's where it will be. Jesus said in Luke 21 34 through 36, But take heed of yourself, lest your heart be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day comes on you unexpectedly. Now, what does that make you think of? That makes you think of the days of Noah, right? Drunkenness, carousing, cares of life, not not thinking about the judgment day, even though... um, Noah, did I say Noah a while ago or did I say, okay, I got it right. I want to make sure, uh, was preaching the gospel and calling them to repentance. What did they continue to do? They continued carousing drunkenness and cares of life and did not think about the day. And then Jesus goes on. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth And he says what? Watch therefore and pray always that you may count worthy to escape all these things will come to pass and to stand before the Son of God. So he's telling us as Christians we must be constantly watching. Watching our lives. Making sure that our lives line up with the truth of God. It isn't only evil things that hinder the mind causing it to be confused. But he says what? He says the cares of this world. Now we all have to deal with the cares of the world. But how do we deal with them? See, normal activities in life can be very dangerous in leading us astray. Did you hear what I just said? I want to make sure you hear that. Normal activities of life can be very dangerous in leading us astray. Those are the things that we often are not aware of. See, we're aware of those things that are really dangerous, but it's those things that sneak up on us that surprise us. I mean, many fathers have consumed their life with their job and forsaken their responsibility as the father of the family in raising their children in the admonition of the Lord. This is one reason why we're going through the book in our men's Bible study. And those who uh, missed it yesterday, you'll have another opportunity to join us on April the 15th. Uh, Yesterday was just introduction. But even though we've heard it, we need to hear it again and again and again so that we understand what our responsibilities as a husband and a father is. I've seen individuals who decide to Purchase things, some purchase a vacation home so that they can get away and relax. That's, that's not something that's sinful, but it can become sinful, right? I know people that have done that and instead of being in the house of the Lord, they're always at the vacation house, see? That's when it becomes sinful, right? It's nothing wrong with having things, that's how we use the things that God gives us. Do we use them for God's glory? Do we use them for our own benefit so that we might grow in grace and become more like Christ? Or do we use them in a selfish way? See, the I also refers to the understanding. What directs our entire being? What is that which we truly believe and determines how we live? Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever you're thinking about, repeatedly, over and over again, setting your affections on, that's your true treasure. See, a good eye aims honestly and directly toward Christ, toward His kingdom, toward pleasing our Heavenly Father. Seeking to walk in the light. And that's where true happiness is, spiritually speaking. Not cardinal, not this world. Is It isn't found in this world. Many people tried to find true happiness in this world, in cardinal things. But it ain't here. It's above. That's what Jesus taught Nicodemus. That you must be born from above. Born again before you can see the kingdom of God. When a person's mind is illuminated by the Holy Spirit, then he will regularly do the things that God would have him to do. He will regulate his entire life based upon the truth of God. A single eye also consists of spiritual wisdom. We read a moment ago in our scripture reading there in Proverbs chapter 8 about wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 speaks of Christ Himself is made our wisdom unto us. In Him is all wisdom. And if you are in Christ, then you see that in Him are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As Colossians 2 3 says. So all believers are united in him and partakers of his virtue. That's the reason why he tells his disciples there in John 15 that I'm the vine and you are the branches. He that is attached to me beareth much fruit. So, therefore, the virtues that we have come from Christ, from being attached to him. And this heavenly wisdom has two works. First, in discernment, so that we may approve things that are excellent. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. Good from evil must be distinguished. You know, a lot of people have been questioning what's happening there in Asbury. It's good to be discerners to research, to think through, to examine it. And a lot of people get upset when you begin to do that thing, but that's what the Scripture teaches us to do, to make sure that we are good discerners of what is going on so that people are not led astray. So it's good to research. There's been pastors that have gone up and sat and listened and, and given and written some good articles pertaining to that to be able to understand so that we are not led astray by the things of this world and what's happening. But there's discernment that the voice of the good shepherd and there's also the voice of the false shepherd. And we must distinguish between them. We see in 1 Corinthians 2.15 it says that he that is spiritual judges all things. If you're spiritual, you're to judge. You're to judge all things. You know, people have this idea we're not to make any judgment. How foolish that is. We're called to make judgments. Now, our judgment must be based on what? This book. It's not judgment just based on what we think. It's based on what God says. And then, therefore, we take God's Word and we say, Look, this is what God's Word says. You're saying this. Now, who do you think is right? I'm going to stand on what God says. I'm not going to stand on what you say. I don't care what it may be revealing because this is what God says. So we have to have spiritual judgment, spiritual discernment because the scripture tells us that the natural man cannot do that. Listen to what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in speaking about the difference in those who are spiritual and those who are unspiritual, those who are natural. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 11. For what man knows, the things of man cannot the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things... We also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches us, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him that we have the mind of Christ? So we must have the mind of Christ. Well, where do we learn about the mind of Christ? From the Gospels, from the Word of God, understanding how Christ thought about everything, how Christ dealt with situations. I mean, any situation that we're ever faced with in life, Christ was faced with. So all we have to do is go to the scriptures and find where he was faced with that particular issue and have the mind of Christ and being able to deal with that particular situation that arises. On one of the posts that I made with a group of pastors and talking about the Asbury deal, I said, one thing we have to realize, I said, you know, Paul addressed a particular situation similar to that there on Mars Hill's. There's people worshiping there on Mars Hills. Now they had an unknown God. Also, what did Paul do? Well, Paul set them straight about their worship. And folks, it's time that we learn how to set people straight about worship by the Word of God, using the Word of God, and explaining to them what God says worship is—true worship. And as a church, you know we stand by the regulative principle. And the regular principle says that we're going to do only what the Scripture says pertaining to worship God and how to worship God. And we say that anything outside of that would be sinful, right? If it's not what God tells us to do, is it not sinful? So, therefore, we believe in the regulated principle of worshiping God as God has commanded us to worship Him in Scripture. So, we are to be judging and discerning the things that come into our life. Now, second is to determine and proclaim what is true. The principal work of wisdom is to determine truth. God gives us wisdom. How does He give us wisdom? By His Spirit, as Paul tells us in the passage that we just read there. What is really true, what is really uh, joyful and happiness. I mean, people want real joy. But real joy is found in Christ. In who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. Paul says in Philippians 3.8, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, count them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now think about Paul's life. Who was Paul as a Pharisee? What all did Paul do? And he says, I count all of that. And you can go into uh, Corinthians and you can look at all the things that he did, being a Hebrew, a Hebrew, and a Pharisee, and all those things. He says, I count all of that as rubbish to know Christ, to know that I've gained Christ. Now this should be our wisdom. If man fails to determine true blessing, then he is a fool. Our true blessedness is in Christ. That's what his word teaches us. Now the fruit of that single eye is to make the whole body full of light in order that the entire being is guided in the path of righteousness and abounding in good works, good works that are pleasing to God. We read just a moment ago there in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. I walk, and when it says I walk, it's, it's wisdom. I, wisdom, walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasury. So we are urged to seek after wisdom and make sure that we have attained wisdom. I mean, if we have discernment, then we must hold on to that and be very careful and very reverent toward God. Why? For the beginning of wisdom is what? Is to fear God. So to obtain and to receive God's Word and to apply it to ourself by humbling ourselves and totally depending upon Christ for all that we need. Now second, Jesus gives the negative there in verse 23. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And again, the eye is referred to the heart, uh, our aim in life. So Jesus is speaking about those who are unconverted, those who are lost, those who are not saved. And these cannot see or understand the truth that Jesus Christ is delivering here. Who were those? Well... A number of them were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They never received the truth. They always rejected. They couldn't see. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying. It, it angered them to the point to where they eventually put Him to death. So this is a very bad position to be in. As stated, If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how dark is that darkness? Now, it may be a little bit of confusion to you for it speaks about light. I mean, if there is light, then what about the darkness? It's kind of confusing, right? Well, light here isn't a light that shines, but it's referring to our affection. It's referring to our heart, which guides us. So if our affections, if our heart is perverted, depraved, then our entire being is affected, is in darkness. And Scripture tells us how evil the heart can be. It can be covetous, it can be hard, hard, it can be envious, resentful. So a lost person will be full of darkness and how great that darkness is, Jesus says. So by the corruption of man's nature, his very nature, and we're all born in that way, At all times, he is filled with this corruption, even though he may not demonstrate it at all times. I mean, God restrains man. And sometimes he allows man to carry out his evil acts. I mean, we we just heard about it this past weekend. The man who killed six individuals, including his ex-wife. I mean, that's wickedness. That's evil. And he was allowed... God allowed him to do what his heart desired to do. Now, they do not understand. They walk in darkness, as Psalms 82.5 says. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the fountains of the earth are unstable. They don't even understand their self. They don't understand how wicked they are. I guarantee if you were probably to talk to this man, he'd probably say, now, I don't know why I did that. Or said, I, I didn't mean to kill all those people. I mean, that's usually how most people that carry out such acts do afterwards. A.W. Pink says, though the natural man knows God, must be worshipped. He knows that and he suppresses it. Yet he is quite incapable of discerning the right kind of worship. The vast majority bow down before idols and images, and even those who pretend outwardly to honor the true God have their hearts far from Him while engaged in such exercises. And I think Pink is correct in that. I mean, there's people this day who are bowing down all kinds of worship, But they're bowing down before images, idols, and they are pretending to honor God outwardly, but yet their hearts are far from Him engaged in those activities, but yet those activities are not pleasing to God. We live in a day of great deception, of darkness, and and so many of our leaders and and teachers and even pastors and even parents are going down the path of destruction and they do not even realize it. They're teaching heresy. They're, They're teaching things that are totally contrary to what God's Word says. They are calling good evil and evil good. That's what we're faced with. And you and I must grasp what is right our eyes must be open. Our eyes must not be deceived so that we are able to be involved in the war, so that we're able to do battle, so that we're able to go and confront those who spew out such wickedness and address it. And people must wake up in our day because so much has happened, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, that is destroying our society. If the eye is evil, its aim surely is not the glory of God, but the glory of man. I mean, the lost are doing what? They're simply following, follow, following their father. I mean, what did Satan seek to do? Trump God, right? Exalt himself. And that's what man seeks to do, exalt himself. He seeks the applause of men rather than the applause of God. He doesn't seek Christ as his treasure, but he seeks the things of this world as his treasure. Why do men view the things of this world so highly? It's because their eye is so dim. Their eye cannot see that which is glorious. Their eye cannot see Christ who is the great treasure. And therefore they mistakenly aim at the shadows instead of the substance. They lack a divinely enlightened understanding. They, as Jesus says, are what? In darkness, unable to discern what is good. They're ignorant about heavenly things, so therefore they only seek earthly things. The eye, being evil naturally, desires that which the devil offers. But as Christians... We must constantly remind ourselves that heavenly wisdom and discernment comes from God. The only reason why you can see and they can't see is because God graced you. And God did not have to grace you. You weren't better than them. He just chose to grace you in His loving kindness, in His wisdom. We don't understand all the mind of God and why He does certain things, but we know He did it for a purpose And He saved us for a purpose, and He saved us to use us for His glory. And therefore, we must be deeply thankful that God has given us light to enable us to understand His Word. But if we fail to walk in the light and fail to keep His requirements, great will be the consequences. See, the heart is so sinful and so powerful that it governs lost man's mind his understanding, and his intellect. So how are we to obtain a right view of what is true and imperishable treasure? Well, Jesus anticipated that question and he answers that question and he points out that the eye must be fixed on that which is above. And as long as we commune, with the living God, our mind is being transformed. Our mind is being informed. Our mind is being governed by Him and therefore will bring glory to Him. I mean, that's what Adam had at the very beginning in his pre-fall condition. And then he sinned and the consequences of his eye became evil. I mean... Nobody can understand that fully because none of us have been perfect and then lost that perfection and become evil and sinful. And then his darkness became great. He was alienated from God. He was ignorant. So ignorant that he and Eve ran from God and hid themselves from God. I mean, how ignorant can you be? Well, why did they do that? Because they went into darkness, see? And going into darkness, they didn't realize that the God that could help them was available to them, but they ran from him. And that's where lost man is. Man runs from God. You know, I hear people saying, I've heard it all my life. I heard it in the seminary. I heard it after seminary. These guys come in and say, oh, people are seeking God. <laughs> I hadn't seen that, folks. A person does not seek God until what? Until God shows them the light and bring them out of darkness, then they seek God. But left to them self, they will not seek God, just like Adam and Eve did not seek God. God sought them and found them in their darkness and saved them from their darkness. Man's imperative need was spiritual renewal. As Paul tells us in Ephesians four twenty three and 24, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we see it's a work of God. It's His grace that renews our mind and brings us so that we are new men and women and children created according to God so that we have true righteousness and holiness. Finally, becoming a new creation in Christ enables us to see, enables us to live for God. When a person is regenerated, the eye is renewed. The eye is able to see. The eye is able to grasp the truth. Ephesians four seventeen and 18. This I say and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. That's what we once were. We were just like that. But what? He's saying now what? That you no longer walk like that. Why? Because you've been brought into the light. The gospel light has delivered you from darkness. You no longer walk in darkness. Why? Because your soul is full of light. And you love the light. And you want to live by the light. So the mind, which is God's greatest physical gift that He's given us, is for understanding and governing our daily activities so that we bring everything under the Lordship of Christ, that we discipline our life to bring everything before God each day. Conversion enables us to distinguish that which is good from evil, that which is heavenly from earthly. It enables us to hear the voice of the true shepherd so that we don't follow the false shepherd. And we have spiritual judgment. Spiritual judgment because the Spirit gives us information of the Word of God, gives us understanding of the Word of God, so that we know what to do and we know what to avoid. Heavenly wisdom enables us to learn the secret of real blessedness, unspeakable joy unspeakable joy to where we've seen in Scripture and we've seen throughout church history. It doesn't matter what circumstance a Christian is put into that he's able to have joy in those circumstances. It may be in prison. It may be even put on the stake as the men who... Uh, translated the Word of God, were put on the stake, but what did they do? They praised God when they were burned at the stake. How could they praise God while they were burned at the stake? They had unspeakable joy. And their joy was increasing. Why? Because they knew that they were about to go into the presence of God. So therefore, they were filled with that joy because their eyes had been opened by the grace of God. So the mind which God has blessed us with is to be fastened upon the things of God, heavenly wisdom, and our eye must remain that single vision, that single practical way full of light. If it's allowed to wander from the truth of God, if it's allowed to begin to look at these things here in this world, then we can temporarily fall into darkness and bring great chaos into our life as a believer. When we lack discernment, when we're not in communion with God, you say, well, I don't know if I believe that, Pastor. Then you must not have read the story of David. David just allowed his eyes to begin to wander. And his eyes were not on God, his eyes were not on communion with God, but his eyes began to look at earthly things, and he looked at Bathsheba, and he desired her. And instead of putting to death that sin, he went further into sin. And we can follow the gratification of the flesh, just as David followed the gratification of the flesh and fall into great disaster. Worldliness cannot be our aim as a Christian. For if it is our aim, we will be foolish and we will fall into disaster. Here's a solemn application of God's Word. To all who have sat under sound preaching, the light of the truth has shone upon your mind. When resisted, did you hear that? When you resisting, you've heard the truth today. Hopefully, you hear the truth every time you come to this church. When you hear the truth, if you resist it, you quench the spirit. That goes for both the lost people as well as the saved people. And Jesus says, How great is their darkness! Peter says in 2 Peter 2.20, For if, after you have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Did you hear that? The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Do you see how dangerous it is to quench the gospel light? It's a serious matter. You sit here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and you hear the gospel proclaimed and you don't repent? That's dangerous. It's dangerous to where Jesus says the darkness is great. The realization that you should humble yourself, humble yourself before a holy God and cry out to this holy God in repentance and in faith toward Jesus Christ. The admonition to us as Christians to mortify the flesh the corrupt desires, as Hebrews three twelve says, that our only safeguard is to look to Christ. Brethren, lest there be in you any evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. One writer says our only safeguard is to deny our stubborn will and corrupt desires and strive to bring all things under the obedience of God's Word. Let us seek grace. Embrace the gospel. Walk according to its precept, and beg God to unite our hearts in fear to His name. May our lives be an example Most of you have heard of Eric Little, the flying Scotsman. He was favored to win the hundred meter at the Olympics, but he would not run on the Lord's Day. A lot of pressure. The movie doesn't act accurately display it because this was this really a number of weeks before the Olympics when he said he would not run it. They make it as if it was just a short time. So he began to train for the 400 meter, which most said there was no way since he was a short sprinter that he would win the 400 meter. Of course, you know what happened. He won the Olympic medal in the 400 meter in 1924. He also set the record for the 100-yard dash at 9.7, which stood for 35 years. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but God also made me fast. God made me fast. And when I turn, or when I run, I felt his pleasure. See, God gave him a talent to be a fast man, but yet he used it for the glory of God. He also said, said, I have no formula for winning the race. Everyone runs in his own way. And where does the power come from to see the race to the end? From within, Jesus said, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. If with all your heart you truly seek me, you shall ever surely find me. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run a straight race. He was a man of God who understood what it meant to aim his eyes toward the goal. And his goal was crossing the finish line. Not just in that race, physical race, but in this heavenly race. He was born in China and came back at the age of five to Scotland with his parents, but then went back to China as a missionary and gave his life died at the age of 43 of a brain tumor while he was in prison under the Japanese. But he lived for God. May we follow that example that whatever God blesses us with, that we will use it for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, which so adequately describes both lost man as well as converted man. And Father, we pray that Your Spirit would take these words and drive them into our heart so that we might respond in a manner that is appropriate, that we might respond in true repentance and faith. That we might respond in obedience. That there might be a desire in our heart, Father, to be like Eric Little. That we would strive to please you in everything that we do. Even using that which you have blessed us with to bring honor and glory to your name. We know, Father, that left to ourselves that we are weak. That we are foolish, but we know that you are able to use weak and foolish vessels for your honor and glory. And we pray that you may be pleased to do so. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.